0: Well, today is Mother's Day, and out of the mouth of a few second graders, let me give you the answers to some commonly asked questions about mothers. Why did God make mothers? Well, she's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. Or how about this one? To help us out of there when we were getting born. How did God make mothers? One child said, he used dirt just like the rest of us. Another one, God made my mom the same like he made me. He just used bigger parts. (laughs) What ingredients were used when God made mothers? Well, God makes moms out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. (laughs) <laughs> or he started with men's bones then he mostly used string I think. These are second graders now. Why did God give your mother give you your mother and not some other mom? One child, well we're related. Another one said, "God knew she likes me a lot more than other people's moms like me." What kind of little girl was your mom? Well, my mom has always been my mom and none of that other stuff. How about this? I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be pretty bossy. (laughs) Or they say she used to be nice. Well, why did your mom marry dad? Why did your mom marry your dad? My dad makes the best spaghetti in the world, and my mom eats a lot. (laughs) Or how about this one? My grandma says that mom didn't have her thinking cap on. (laughs) What's the difference between moms and dads? Well, moms know how to talk to teachers without scaring them. Dads are taller and stronger, but moms have the real power because she's who you got to ask if you want sleep sleepover at a friend's house. Well, what does your mom do in her spare time? <laughs> moms don't do spare time. That's easy. What would it take to make your mom perfect? Remember, these are second graders. Well, on the inside, she's already perfect. Outside, I think some plastic surgery. And <laughs> the last, if you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? Well, she has a weird thing about me keeping my room clean. I'd get rid of that. Or, I'd make her smarter so she'd know it was my sister who did it, not me. Or, I'd like for her to get rid of those invisible eyes in the back of her head. <laughs> Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, we find the story of an Israelite mother, a good mother. From all accounts, there's not one thing we would want to change about this mom. Her name was Jochebed, and her three kids were Aaron, Miriam, and the most famous of the three, Moses. Jochebed mothered a nation's deliverer. Our text actually credits Moses' upbringing not just to his mom, but to his parents. Moses had the blessing of a good dad as well as a faithful mom. Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, identifies the parents by name, Amram and Jochebed. But Exodus also provides us another detail. In Exodus 2, verse 2, we're told, So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, She hid him three months. Notice the emphasis in Exodus. It was on the parenting of Moses' mother. To be honest, I'm not sure what to make of this. Why does the writer of Hebrews speak of parents while the author of Exodus focuses on the woman? We know that Exodus was written by a fully grown Moses, whereas Hebrews was authored by an objective third party many years after the fact. Well, the perspective of Hebrews is from the outside of the family looking in, while Exodus was written by a family insider. Moses was drawing from his own memories. And here's the conclusion I've drawn. Moses' dad was certainly in the mix. He was on the job. Amram was no absentee father. He made a vital contribution, supporting his family, supplying structure, providing guidance and courage and resources. But what the child Moses remembered most was the touch and tenderness of his mother. Moses recalled Jochebed's tender words and her nurturing manner. Oh, dad played a vital role, an indispensable part. No one today is diminishing the job of a father. Yet there is a special relationship between a mother and her child. Several years ago, I did some firsthand research on this. I combed all of the tattoo parlors on Highway 78, and I discovered that mom tattoos outnumber dad tattoos 30 to 1, 30 to 1. I interviewed Painless Paul at Lucky Tattoos. Paul said that folks are far more likely to get a tattooed tribute to mom than to their dad. In fact, Painless Paul said That when someone asks for a dad tattoo, it's usually after the old boys kicked a bucket. It's a memorial. But mom gets honored with ink while she's still alive. Among the painted population, at least, memories of mother conjure up far more tender feelings than those of dad. And this is not only true of you if you have a tattoo. Ever notice the camera at a college football game? It combs the sidelines and you hear a player shout, I love you, Dad. No, you never hear that. It's always, I love you, Mom. Hi, Mom. A mom has a special place in every child's heart. When my oldest son, Zach, was born, my dad took me aside at the hospital. And he warned me. He said, Sandy, your son will love Kathy more than he'll ever love you. Dad told me, he said, get used to it. Don't be jealous of it. A son loves his mother more than he loves his dad. It's just life. Generally speaking, moms have a tenderness and a tolerance that dads lack. You know, you hear of these standoffs between the father and his grown child. The father might say, I'll never speak to that boy again. But I've never heard of a standoff between a mother and her child. A good mom never cuts off her kid. Doesn't matter how far he falls, doesn't matter how low she goes, a mom still sees beauty in her child and refuses to allow it to die. Poet John Killinger words it this way I believe in the love of all mothers and its importance in the lives of the children they bear. It is stronger than steel, softer than down, and more resilient than a green sapling on the hillside. Her love closes wounds melts disappointments, and enables the weakest child to stand tall and straight in the fields of adversity. This was the love Jochebed had for Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. I'm sure Amram provided a fatherly direction. Then Jochebed followed it up with a mother's tenderness. Together, they made a good parental team. In fact, as we look deeper into our text, I think you'll find that the parents of Moses had three chief attributes. First, they were protective. And if you're taking notes, you want to jot these down. First, they were protective. Second, they saw potential. And third, they relied on. On providence. They were protective. They saw potential and they relied on providence. And these are the same ingredients that make for good parents today. Hebrews 11, verse 23 describes the faith of a parent. As a father or a mother, you hold on to your child, you look at your child, and then when the time comes, you let go of your child. In all three, holding on and looking at and letting go, all require faith. Parents hold on to their children and protect them from danger. Parents see beauty in their children and encourage their potential. And eventually, parents let go of their children and trust in God's providence. And all three actions require tremendous faith. Well, I want you to notice first By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. Amram and Jochebed were quick to recognize that their world was full of danger. Our world is not conducive or safe for rearing children. It's full of predators who want to do our children harm. Like Amram and Jochebed, it is every parent's duty to hide their children until they become while they're vulnerable and innocent, until they can grow and stand on their own. It's every mom's responsibility to hold on to her child and protect him in his formative years. Like an animal in the wild, a mom's instinct is to protect her young. Watch out for those cubs. If parents don't protect their kids, who will? Yesterday, societal support system of media and schools and neighborhoods has disappeared. Apart from the church today, parents are on their own. Hey, imagine the situation facing Amram in Jacobed. An evil, power-mongering despot. Egypt's Pharaoh had ordered the execution of all male Hebrew babies. Throw them into the Nile. Feed them to the crocodiles. That was the order. The Jewish historian Josephus gives an insight into the reason behind the Pharaoh's death sentence. He writes this, One of Egypt's sacred scribes, who was very discerning in foretelling future events truly, told the king that about this time there would be a child born to the Israelites, who if he were reared, would bring the Egyptian dominion low and would raise the Israelites. Pharaoh wanted to crush this prophesied rival. His plan was to recruit the help of the Hebrew midwives and sabotage the deliveries of the male infants. But when the midwives refused to cooperate, Pharaoh took off the gloves. He issued his own death sentence. Infanticide by drowning. Can you imagine a more cruel way for a child to die? Imagine your baby tossed into the current, gurgling water into his lungs, his bloated body shredded by the crocs your son, alligator bait. But as gruesome a picture as that is, it's not unlike the dangers, the spiritual dangers facing our kids today. You know, history says that the Egyptian Pharaoh wore a coiled serpent on his crown. That serpent was a symbol of Satan, and it is the devil who is out to attack our kids today. You know about the drug dealers and the child snatchers and the pedophiles and the gangs and the school shooters. But our children are being threatened today in far more subtle ways. What your child thinks and how your child believes is under assault on a daily basis. A materialistic media, a sexualized and coarsening culture, a godless and violent Entertainment industry, all these things want to capture the heart and mind of your child. Crocodiles of a different sort circle the water today to feed on our children. Parents today have to stay vigilant and have to stay in protection mode. Did you know the average child in America sees 40,000 commercials annually? 40,000? Advertisers spend $10 billion a year targeting our kids, trying to influence their values. Hey, if it didn't work, they'd save their money. Did you know that each year a typical teenager views 1,500 references to sexual activity on television? Today's parents need to be operating under a Homeland Security red alert. Ellen Goodman is a liberal columnist. Her opinions run in the Boston Globe and Washington Post. Years ago, she made an astute comment that I think applies to all parents. She wrote, One of your main jobs as a parent is to counter the culture. What the media delivers to kids in masses, you're expected to rebut one at a time. Parents are expected to protect their children from an increasingly hostile environment. Are the kids being sold junk food? Just say no. Is TV bad? Turn it off. Are there messages about sex, drugs, and violence all around? Counter the culture. Moms and dads are expected to screen virtually every aspect of their child's life, from movies and music and friends to video games and cell phones and laptops, all the while earning a living. Parents see themselves in a struggle for the hearts and minds of their own children. It isn't that they can't say no, it's that there's so much to say no to. There's been a fundamental shift. We once expected parents to raise children in accordance with a dominant culture of morality and decency. Today, we expect them to raise their children in opposition to the culture. It's what makes child raising hard. It's not just that American families have less time with their kids. It's that we have to spend more of the time doing battle with our own culture. It's like trying to get your children to eat their green beans after they've been told all day about the wonders of Milky Way bars. See, our text tells us that for three months, Amram and Jacobed spent enormous efforts sheltering their baby. They They hid Moses from the authorities who wanted him dead. Imagine this. Feeding Moses and changing his diaper and occupying him, hoping that he wouldn't cry and draw the attention of those who wanted to harm him. They prayed daily that he wouldn't catch the croup or get colicky. Imagine if he'd coughed or if he'd cried at the wrong time. What if while changing his diaper, Amram had stuck little Moses with a safety pin, or stuck himself for that matter, one whimper? And it could have been curtains for both parent and child. This is why Jacobed went to bed exhausted every night. And if you're a parent, I would imagine that's how you go to bed most nights, pretty exhausted. Parenting is a tough gig. It's not for the faint of heart. I'm just a dad. It's even more so for moms. Parents, one day your kids will be equipped to make their own choices and defend for themselves. But until then, you've got to protect them. Don't get lax. Don't wear out. Parents need to rise to the challenge. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Well, parents need to hold on to their kids and protect them as long as necessary. But parents also need to look at their kids and seeing them great potential. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents (coughs) because they saw he was a beautiful child. They saw beauty in Moses. According to the historian Josephus, Amram was a man of prayer. He had been interceding for his people Israel, asking God to raise up someone to deliver them from slavery. One night, Amram had a vision. The Lord promised him a son to deliver the Hebrews. God said of the boy, His memory shall be famous while the world lasts. We're told that once the excited dead awoke, Amram communicated the vision to his wife, Jacobed. See, this couple had clues of their child's destiny before he was even born. And upon his birth, nothing caused them to doubt God's promise. Moses was a beautiful child. Actually, Josephus tells us that Moses was so handsome as an infant that later when he was moved into the court of Pharaoh, people would actually go out of their way to walk by the nursery just to admire his good looks. My parents had the same problem <laughs> with my brother. Hey, when her baby was born, Jochebed saw that he was Beautiful. There was something about Moses that affirmed all the predictions that the visions were true. Moses did have a special God-ordained destiny. And Jacobed was a good mom. She saw her child's qualities and unique potential. Good moms do that. Good moms believe in God and they believe in their kids. They sense and see a beauty and a value in their children. God sensitizes a mom to his eternal purposes in the life of her child. A good mom recognizes her child's uniqueness. When my kids were small, I would often walk into their room at night and just watch them sleep. At times, Kathy and I, we would do it together, and we'd dream of where their little feet would go and what their little hands would do, and we'd rededicate them over and over again to God. Even when they got into high school, sometimes I would watch them sleep Provided I could stay awake long enough to actually see them sleep. And I would think similar thoughts. A good parent never stops dreaming for and believing in their child. Once, five year old Heather was being scolded by her mom Heather, why can't you be as well behaved as Stacy next door? Heather protested, Mom, I can never be as good as Stacy. She's a doctor's kid. The mom replied, He said, Well, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Little Heather answered, said, everyone knows the doctor always keeps the best babies for himself. <laughs> and that's exactly how every mom feels about their child. She's not blind to their flaws. She disciplines their rebellion. She never loses sight of the beauty in her child. No matter how wayward they become, a good mom never loses sight of their value and their potential. John Ashcroft was a former U.S. Attorney General, and he credits his successes to the prayers of his dad. As a small boy, Ashcroft would wake up, not to the rooster crowing, not to the coffee brewing, but to his father's prayers. And he would often join his dad. He'd curl up under his dad's giant frame. He recalls, I was shielded by his body as he pleaded for my soul. Ashcroft says that he heard his dad pray for his. He never heard his dad pray for his son's happiness. That was never a source of his prayers. He never heard him pray for a bigger house or bigger car or bank account. Ashcroft recalls, he prayed that our hearts would be ignited and inspired to do things of eternal consequence. He quotes his dad's petition: "Lord, turn our eyes from the temporal, the physical, the menial." and toward the eternal, the spiritual, the noble. Ashcross sums up his father's influence in the family. He says, My father never pressured us toward achievement. He simply dangled before us the possibilities. Thanks to his example, we sometimes took the bait. Parents, are you dangling noble possibilities before your children? Once it was a dead... He tells of the time when he was painting the laundry room with his 10-year-old son. The dad had the brush while the boy had the roller. And every time the boy left the room, dad would grab the roller and he'd re-roll whatever his son had shabbily painted. Dad watched the boy stretch for places that he couldn't reach. In fact, he was afraid his son was going to step in the paint or spill it on the floor. And when he saw him stretch in vain again, he shouted, I told you to stop stretching. I'll do that. The boy replied, Okay, Dad, I won't do it again. Later, the father said, In the silence that followed, I wondered how many times I had given my son the message, Stop stretching. You can't. It's too hard. Let me do it. Don't reach so high. I was spouting my own fears. I look back now. And I hope my son didn't listen. It's terrible when a parent's own fears hold back their child. If your parent doesn't believe in you, who in the world will? How it must have scarred poor little George Washington after he had wasted his allowance. His mother rebuked him. Oh, George, you'll never have a head for money. Can you imagine the trauma Samuel Morris, inventor of the telegraph, endured when his mom scolded him? Sam, stop tapping your fingers. It's driving me crazy. (laughs) Or imagine future astronaut Neil Armstrong after his mother commented, Neil, you have no more business taking flying lessons than a man in the moon. (laughs) It's sad when a parent discourages their child's potential. Once, the mother of a little boy on our baseball team, she took her son home before the game was over. Well, I realized that the kid was coming to bat that inning. And if he left early, it would cost our team an automatic out. And so I asked his mom, I said, why don't you let Billy hit? If he doesn't come to bat, the team will have to take him out. And right there, in front of a grandstand of people, this mom shouts, Ah, he's no good. He'll make an out anyway. We got to go. What an awful thing to say. A good parent never undermines his child's potential. He or she sees and supports the beauty in their child. Well, Amron and Jochebed, they held on to Moses, and they provided him protection. They looked at their child and admired his potential. And finally... These parents let go of their child and trusted in God's providence. See, Jochebed was a mom who believed that God was more concerned about her child's future than she was. She trusted God to be committed to her son. A good mom believes that she's not alone in the rearing of her kids. Understand this word providence. It's God's overarching intervention in human affairs. It's His involvement in and behind our circumstances. Providence is God's means of accomplishing His purposes through events beyond our control. And there comes a point when every parent, where they are no longer in control of where their child goes and what their child does and with who their child hangs. And it's in those moments that a parent has to trust in God's love for their child and in his overarching providence. Commentator John Darby sums up the idea of God's providence. God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he is behind. Jochebed trusted God to move behind the scenes in Moses' life. Exodus 2 verse 3 tells us what this mother did. When she could no longer hide Moses, she took an ark of bulrushes for him. Dobbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. jacobed when she could no longer hide Moses. And there comes a time when every mom can no longer hide that child from what they're bound to face. jacobed she waterproofed a basket. She created a little floating bassinet for her son. She laid Moses in it, put him on top of what had been a watery grave for many Hebrew infants. Jochebed launched that basket downstream into the flow of undertoes and toward the mouth of hungry, unfed crocodiles. And yet this mom trusted God. She trusted God to control the current and to bring her precious boy to safety. She let go of her son and placed him into God's loving arms. This is what Trescinda Fox did in December of 2005. When her third-story apartment caught fire, Trescinda's one-month-old infant began to choke on the billowing black smoke. She held her son out of the window as long as she possibly could until her arms began to, to lose strength. She had to turn her baby loose. The baby fell three floors, but God's providence finishes the story. A New York housing employee named Felix Vasquez, he saw the situation, and he moved himself into position to catch the child. It just so happens Felix is a catcher on a local baseball team. And since he'd been a lifeguard, after he caught the baby, he was able to apply mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. His measures saved the baby's life. Obviously, Felix Vasquez was held a hero. But in a sense, it wasn't Felix that saved the child as much as it was his mom's decision to trust in God's providence and to let go. After Tracinda was rescued, she commented on her horrifying ordeal. She says, I prayed that someone would catch him. I said, God, please save my son. See, if Tracinda had held on to her baby for too long, he would have suffocated. And figuratively speaking, this is the mistake many Christian parents make. They hold on for too long. A child can be smothered by his mother. As I said earlier, parents need to hold on to their kids when they're young and provide them protection. But there comes a point, just like for Jochebed, where you can hide the child no longer when the parent has to let go. My kids had to learn to stand on their own two feet and to think and believe independently from their parents. If I had sheltered them completely, they would have never made it in an Antichrist world. I want to teach my kids to live out their faith under real world circumstances. Hey, I believe in holding the reins tight, but I also believe in turning loose of those reins a little at a time. Kids need to be exposed to the world in small doses. This is why I always loved the ballpark. My kids played various sports and were subjected to just enough fussing and cussing and rustling that future encounters with similar behavior wouldn't intimidate them or shock them. See, think of a child who's learning to swim. At first, you fit them with the water wings You know that keep them buoyant the inflatables that keep their head above the surface of the water. They they use those water wings until they get accustomed to the pool. But if you never lose the water wings, the child will never start to swim. Sure, it's risky to take off the wings, and the child has to be monitored. The chances are he's going to struggle a bit. But this is how you learn to stay afloat. And likewise, your kids will never learn to swim in the real world If you keep them totally sheltered and shielded, a mom has to let go at some point. A dad has to turn loose. Pastor Tim Kimmel, he gives this advice to Christian parents. He says, you may not want to hear this, but raising safe Christian kids is a spiritual disaster in the making. Your effort will produce shallow faith and wimpy believers Kids raised in an environment that stresses safety above all else are on track to be pushovers. They tend to end up either overly critical of the world system to the point where they won't have anything to do with people, an idea that comes directly from Satan's playbook, or they'll become naive about the world system, which ultimately makes them putty in Satan's hands. He chews them up. Few of these kids are ready to have a spiritual impact on a wicked world. It's ironic, but if safety is the sole priority of your parenting, it could prove to be dangerous to your child's health. The initial impulse of a caring parent might be to make life as easy as possible for their child, but trust me, that's not in the child's best long-term interest. When it comes to kids, we, sometimes we think easier is better, but it's not. Easier isn't always better. Life can be hard, and parents won't always be there to shelter their child. That's why from day one, that child, that parent needs to begin the process of letting go of that child. Letting go can be risky. Imagine the risk Jochebed took when she let go, when she laid baby Moses in the basket and pushed him out into the river. A mother doesn't control the current. A mother doesn't know where those crocodiles are. But she believes in the God who does. And Jochebed believed God was downstream in her child's life. And God is downstream in your child's life, Mom. You've got to believe Him. You've got to trust Him to move behind the scenes, to position the props, to organize the people, to accomplish the purposes God has for your child. A parent moves with confidence. When the mom and dad trust in God's providence. Listen to how God steered Moses in his little basket. Exodus 2 verse 5. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. What an amazing work of God's hand of providence. Moses gets adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter. He goes from Egypt's most wanted to a member of the royal family. Moses is going to grow up on Pharaoh's dime, no less. And because Jochebed believed God enough to let go of her son at that crucial moment, she stayed in the picture later. Pharaoh's daughter pays her wages to nurse her her baby Moses. Moms, imagine a salary for breastfeeding your own kid. And since children in ancient Egypt were nursed for several years, this also gave Jochebed the opportunity she had prayed for to teach God's truth to her son. You see, God honored Jochebed's faith in letting go of her son. In closing, there are many characteristics that make a good parent. Love and patience. Consistency, firmness, tenderness, creativity. But now that my kids are grown, I'm convinced that the number one ingredient is faith. By faith, Amram and Jochebed raised Moses. And to be a good parent today, it still takes faith. Faith enough to hold on to your child and protect them. Faith enough to look at your child and see great potential and faith enough to let go of your child and turn them over to God's providence. The request of the disciples made of Jesus should be the prayer of every parent, increase our faith. As parents, let's raise our kids by faith.